Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome listeners, and thanks for joining us on the Paranormal Factor podcast. You may have noticed I did not post an episode last week, and that was due to being extremely sick, and my apologies, I guess it's just the time of the season. In this new shorter episode, we'll catch you up from last week and tell you all about the Spear of Destiny, also called the Holy Lance or the Holy Spear. It's allegedly the lance that pierced the side of Jesus as he hung on the cross during his crucifixion. For lovers of history and the occult alike, there are ancient objects which continue to intrigue and puzzle us. Among these are the Holy Grail, the Shroud of Turin, and the Holy Lance or Spear of Destiny. However, for some, the lance is a medieval artifact that is only half as old as some claim. For others, this spear is an object of vast occult power. It does exist, but trying to chase down the various legends about it, well, that can be challenging. But we'll give it a shot so that you can decide for yourself just what this relic from history actually is. And we'll get to the story in just a moment right after I remind you about the Paranormal Factor podcast Facebook page. Every day, Monday through Friday, there's new paranormal and supernatural material for you to explore. Fans of the show know it's the best place to find monsters, quizzes, film, TV, and book recommendations, and current paranormal news stories from around the world. Now, on to our new episode. In the Bible, in the Gospel of John, it is written, the soldiers therefore came, and they broke the legs of the first and of the other that was crucified with him. But after they came to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear opened his side, and immediately there came out blood and water. This soldier was the blind Roman centurion, Longinus, in one version of the story, Longinus stabbed Jesus and the blood and water sprayed the centurion in the eyes and restored his sight. Longinus, amazed and humbled by this miracle, later converted to Christianity and was eventually crucified himself for his beliefs in 45 AD. Now, Longinus's spear, known subsequently as the Holy Lance, is said to have been imbued with great power. It became a talisman of sorts, handed down through the centuries to power-hungry dukes, kings, and emperors. There are a number of traditions about the subsequent history of Longinus's spear or lance, and it has long been attributed with supernatural powers. It was believed that whoever possessed it held the destiny of the world, for good or evil. Conflicting accounts trace its history with various saints or rulers, and its fame during medieval times was not unlike that of the Holy Grail. The spear includes an iron nail, which is held to be an actual nail that was hammered into Christ on the cross. This is known as the nail of our Lord, and the golden cuff, which is still attached to the outside of the lance, bears a Latin inscription that translates as the lance and the nail of the Lord. According to one legend, St. Joseph of Arimathea the man who buried Jesus, 
brought the lance to Britain in the first century AD. Joseph is often spoken of in various legends as having visited Britain and brought Christianity with him. In another interesting story, around 450 AD, Attila the Hun seized the lance in his conquests as he swept across the Roman Empire. Approaching Rome with his plague-ridden army close to starving, he rode up to the gates of the city. Attila allegedly cried aloud, Take back your holy lance. It is of no use to me, since I do not know him that made it holy. With that, he flung the weapon to the ground. So the Spear of Destiny began to be described as a key to world power, a magic wand of war, so to speak, that gives its possessor the ability to command and conquer. In the 8th and 9th centuries, Charlemagne, the first Holy Roman Emperor, was supposed to have personally wielded the spear on 47 successful military campaigns. He supposedly dropped the lance one day and died on the spot. One of the most famous accounts of the Holy Lance was its discovery in June 1098 during the First Crusade by Christian crusaders at Antioch. Now, the recovery of the relic inspired the crusaders to take the offensive against the Muslims, routing them in battle and securing Christian possession of Antioch. Peter Bartholomew was a peasant who claimed that St. Andrew had appeared to him in a series of visions and revealed the location of the lance. Peter led the crusaders to the Cathedral of St. Peter in Antioch and indicated where the lance would be located. But after a day of wasted digging, well, nothing was found. In a highly suspicious action, Peter leaped into the hole and miraculously produced a piece of iron that was assumed to be the relic. Most of the crusaders accepted its authenticity and carried the lance with them into battle against the Muslims. But disputes about the authenticity of the lance continued and eventually caused internal dissension among the crusaders. Its discoverer, Peter Bartholomew, was eventually discredited. In fact, Peter submitted himself to an ordeal by fire to test the validity of his claims, and he was fatally burned, and the Holy Lance itself was also discredited. Soon, however, the famous warrior king Frederick Barbarossa, Holy Roman Emperor, restored the legitimacy of the relic in the 12th century. Frederick conquered half of Italy and went on the Third Crusade. Recorded history states that the lance was in the possession of the Holy Roman Emperors for centuries, and in 1422, Holy Roman Emperor Sigmund of Luxembourg ordered the lance to be taken to Nuremberg and kept forever. Well, fast forward a few hundred years to the time of Napoleon. In 1796, invading French forces encroached on Nuremberg. The local authorities evacuated the ancient relics of the city, including the lance, to Vienna for safekeeping. Napoleon was determined to capture the Holy Lance after the Battle of Austerlitz in 1805, but it had been smuggled out of Vienna before the battle. So he failed to capture it, and with the end of the war in 1815 and Napoleon's demise, the spear remained in the Austrian capital. In the years before the First World War, a young Adolf Hitler would frequently visit the Hofburg Museum in Vienna. One day, Hitler set eyes on an exhibit in the museum, which was, he wrote later, to change his life forever. This artifact was the Holy Lance, a prized part of Habsburg's imperial treasure trove. When Hitler was in his 20s, he met Walter Johann Stein, a philosopher and expert on the Holy Grail. Hitler told Stein that it was the Holy Lance itself that he saw as the key to his future power. And 
on October the 13th, 1938, under Hitler's orders, the Lance and the other Habsburg ceremonial objects were placed on a special train and taken to Nuremberg under SS guard. There, it was housed in St. Catherine's Church. Seven years later, in 1945, American forces located and took possession of the treasures in St. Catherine's Church just two hours before Hitler committed suicide. American troops quickly found the spear and brought it to General George S. Patton, the U.S. commander, who ordered the history of the item to be traced and documented. Now, while Patton evidently requested permission to keep the relic, the treasures were all apparently returned to Austria. But is it really the spear that pierced the side of Jesus? Well, in 2003, authorities in Austria granted a British metallurgist, Robert Feather, permission to conduct scientific tests on the weapon. No traces of blood or other DNA were found on the object, and X-ray and fluorescent tests revealed the material composition of the item. All things considered, it was determined that the spear in Vienna was made in the 7th century AD, many centuries after the death of Christ. However, interestingly and somewhat mysteriously, Dr. Feather did establish that the nail of our Lord, that piece of pointy ironmongery attached to the spear, is consistent with a nail from the 1st century AD. So, do you want to see the Spear of Destiny for yourself? Well, there are at least three reputed relics of the Holy Lance, and by the way, the Vatican does not claim authenticity for any of them. One is located below the Dome of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and was given to Pope Innocent VIII in 1492 after the Turkish conquest of Constantinople. Another relic is preserved in Vekharshapat, Armenia, and legend holds that it was brought by St. Jude the Apostle. The final relic is the one previously mentioned at the Hofburg Palace in Vienna. It's known as the Lance of St. Maurice, and this spear is the most famous of all the spears that are said to be the Spear of Destiny. It's still on display today at the Imperial Treasury in the Hofburg Palace. The palace is both a museum and the official residence of the Austrian president. So the relic has been actually used in coronation ceremonies. The Vienna Spear is an impressive piece of ornate weaponry, but it is clearly medieval in appearance and not the 2,000-year-old sidearm of a Roman centurion. But the legend of the Spear of Destiny, it still lives on. Well, in our next episode, we take a look at the Charles Mills Lake Monster. Much like Scotland and its famous Loch Ness, Ohio is a hotbed for reports of unique, alleged, aquatic-based cryptids. Charles Mill Lake Reservoir is near Mansfield, Ohio, and is said to boast its very own aquatic monster. Nestled in between Cleveland and Columbus, the lake is said to be the home of a unique and alleged amphibious creature that is unlike any other cryptid ever reported. In 1959, Three young men from Ohio claimed to have had a face-to-face -face encounter with one of the most bizarre creatures ever to emerge from a murky lake bed. It was an encounter so brief and perplexing that even many cryptozoologists don't know what to make of it. The young men testified they saw a strange seven-foot-tall being rise up from the black water in front of them. And they then watched in horror as this enormous creature towered above them. Later, they would describe the beast as being a huge, armless humanoid with luminous green eyes 
and large webbed feet. When local authorities made their way back to the reservoir to see what the uproar was all about, they did discover a series of tracks that resembled the footgear worn by skin divers along the shore. This description of a humanoid creature rising from a murky lake is very much like eyewitness accounts of the vicious Thetis lake monster seen in Canada in August of 1972. But unlike the quasi-reptilian form of that creature, this frightening manifestation falls somewhere between the creature from the Black Lagoon, a hairless ape-man, and, well, the unknown. By all accounts, it seems absolutely unlike any other creature ever reported. And we're going to tell you all about it next time, right here on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. And now it's time for the episode quiz. That's right, it is quiz time. So let's get to it. What did the aerial school incident involve? Was it A, clairvoyance experiment? B, UFOs and aliens? C, exorcism? Or D, levitation? Once again, what did the aerial school incident involve? Was it clairvoyant experiments? UFOs and aliens? An exorcism? Or levitation? And the answer is... B. UFOs and aliens. This is a truly chilling UFO case involving a strange episode of alien contact with children. On September 16, 1994, there was a UFO sighting outside Rua, Zimbabwe. 62 pupils at the aerial school, aged between 6 and 12, said they saw one or more silver craft descend from the sky. These craft landed in a field near their school, and some of the children claimed one or more creatures dressed all in black then approached them. The beings telepathically communicated to them a message with an environmental theme, frightening them and causing them to become hysterical. Fortean writer Jerome Clark has called the incident the most remarkable close encounter of the third kind of the 1990s. But would skeptics agree on the legitimacy of the report? Was it a case of actual alien contact or, well, just mass hysteria? And what was the message imparted to the children? This really is a fascinating UFO case made all the more remarkable and compelling by the involvement of the children. If you'd like to learn more about the aerial school incident, check out Season 4, Episode 2, right here on the Paranormal Factor Podcast. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by. <laughs>